to How Have You Not Seen That? My name is Charles. I'm Crossman. I'm Wilson. And this is a podcast where um, we reveal holes in our cinematic knowledge and aim to rectify that. So, uh, Wilson, it was your pick this time. You picked My Own Private Idaho. So tell us about it. Okay. Uh, My Own Private Idaho is a 1991 movie. Yes, 91 movie. Starring River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves, directed by Gus Van Zandt. They... It opens with uh, River Phoenix in on an empty street in presumably Idaho. He, we learn quickly that he has narcolepsy, um, that narcolepsy... Will they show the definition of narcolepsy right. in the beginning of the film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that is literally the first thing that happens. Go. Um, turns out they do that because River Phoenix's character has, has narcolepsy, um, brought on by stressful events. He is a street hustler um, that ends up in Gus Benzant's hometown of Portland, Oregon. He has a strained and a strained relationship with his family. He walks the streets to make money, essentially. Keanu Reeves is the son of the mayor or somebody very wealthy in in Portland. He is also engages in the street hustling, but does it more as like a hobby or a lark to irritate his dad, since he has all this money coming when he uh, when he turns twenty one or eighteen or something. When his when his must be twenty one when his crust comes through. Um, these two are friends, and they eventually decide to leave Portland to find uh, the River Phoenix's character's mother. Um, River Phoenix learns that he is the... He eventually tracks down his brother and learns that he is a product of incest, and also that his mother has ended up in Italy. Um, the two of them then hop on a plane and go to Rome, uh, find that the mother is no longer in Italy, and then are on their way back to Idaho and, and Portland when... Uh, Keanu Reeves' inheritance or trust or whatever comes due when he essentially turns on the culture that he is in and becomes a rich person now, um, having found a wife in Italy. Um, it's almost a plotless movie. Um, it, it kind of moves and meanders in uh, unexpected ways. It, it, it's almost The experience of it is almost like two or three movies at the same time. Um, it's sometimes a road trip movie, sometimes this romance or unrequited love story about the River Phoenix character's feelings towards the Keanu Reeves character. Um, it's a little bit Shakespearean sometimes with this um, father figure on the street that Keanu Reeves has that he eventually uh, turns his back on. Bob. Bob. Pigeon Bob, apparently. Um, and has frequent cutaways with this uh, narcolepsy trait that, that River Phoenix carries. Um, I enjoyed it. Like it was a peculiar experience, but I, I once I like got around to what it was doing, I, I think I was into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but ne- neither of you had seen this before either, right? This was new no, for everybody. No, I was aware of the title. I was aware of the, and that was it. Like I was, I was just aware of the title. I knew Keanu Reeves was in it, um, and that it was kind I of. You didn't, didn't even know that. I, <laughs> yeah, I knew it was River Phoenix, Keanu Reeves, Gus Van Sant. I knew the name of it, and I think I knew that it was like fell into queer cinema somewhere, and that was basically it. Like that was that mm-hmm. was my knowledge of of my own private Idaho. Um, what do you think of this one? Um, as you might expect, it's not my kind of movie. Uh, okay. No surprises there, but like, so watching through this movie, I could conceptually grasp how like tragic the situation is in the movie mm-hmm. uh, for River's character, right? Um, but I just couldn't get over like how bored I felt, I guess, to really appreciate like the emotional weight of what was going on. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I was at with this movie. <laughs> that's fair. What do you think of this one, Crossman? It's like a capital A art film. Yeah, a lot of the time. I mean, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, some of the times it's like it gets 
I don't know. It, it certainly never becomes commercial, but it's sometimes no. a, a road movie and it's sometimes kind of a western. Um, yeah. And yeah, and, to, and I guess that still would qualify it as an art film, but yeah, yeah, it is that. You're right. Um, I think uh, Keanu is a very good actor, and I think he gets pigeonholed as a bad actor incorrectly. Yes, incorrectly, and I think he's very good here. Yeah. Um, Rivers, River, River, singular. River. Um, is celebrated as a very good actor. I, I, it felt like it's good here. I thought so. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know much beyond that. Um, I was kind of in the Charlesville where I was like kind of bored by this, but I think there are elements of the movie that I thought were good. Um, some of the stuff I found annoying, but it felt like it was like a product of its very nineties. There are yes. some 90s moments in this movie. This is a very 90s movie. Yeah. It yeah. has Flea in it. <laughs> it does have Flea in it. Yeah. Flea. More evidence of the 90s. Yeah. Yes. Uh, who might be a better actor than musician. Um, Damn. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he's not a very good musician. So. Well, but here's yeah. your, your hot Red Hot Chili Peppers takes. Um, <laughs> red Hot takes, you might say. Yeah. Yes. I, I liked its 90s. Uh-huh. I, I'm on the older end of the millennial generation mm-hmm. so i have a lot of like gen x tendencies mm-hmm. wait so and what were what were the really 90s moments that you would describe here um a lot well, of said portland yeah okay <laughs> during like the height of grunge rock um so this is like the coolest city in the country mm-hmm. at that time like portland seattle area um flea yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean like it's very like gritty like no one's even though there are like attractive actors in this movie, like everyone's like dressed to be ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and the uh, the fashion in general is it, it calls yeah, to mind the nineties. It's a, a grunge movie, yeah, for sure. It would fit within that. In addition to it's like queer cinema mm-hmm. elements, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which I think are not- notably very groundbreaking for for the time, um, and un- unapologetically yep. about that. Um, so all that I think is the yeah. sense of the nineties to me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's also this like kind of like plotlessness is like sort of a holdover from like French New Wave that was like still like playing out in like American cinema at this time. Yeah, the, the feedback loop of yeah. the, the art house. Yeah. 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 So I, I think you see like a number of filmmakers like coming out of or inspired by the Northwest who are like yeah, let's guitar. just like make a movie about nothing. And, yeah. Like yeah. Cool. which I think is a misunderstanding of what the new wave is doing but yeah like there is there is some of that like it's not like, like the new wave isn't about nothing like they're for sure yeah but like a like a brash young filmmaker might see that and be like yes yeah let's make, understand it yeah <laughs> and like seinfeld like comes out of that as well right mm-hmm. where it's like the show about nothing right mm-hmm. yeah it's just like a bunch of like jack off friends who are assholes and I think we see that in this movie too <laughs> yeah I mean that, like there are there are like vignettes in this movie that kind of they aren't necessarily disconnected from everything else that's going on, but like kind of come out of nowhere, right? Like they decide to like rob this band, yeah, and like that whole sequence. They like rob their own friends. That was kind of weird, right? Wait, I thought it, I thought it was their own like crew. No, I think the the they heard about some like hot band that's in town and that accepts cash at the door, and they're going. This is to, all very nineties, like right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Hot yeah. band in town, cash at the door. Yeah, yeah um, and they're going to wait until the end of the night when they're on their way home and just like take all the money and then yeah. but yeah. then our main characters stop them stop them and rob yeah. them yes yeah yeah, oh, yeah. That, that is what happened that, seems that was strange. like very shakespearean yeah oh, yeah because i thought yeah. the whole point was that they were kind of like a um 
like a, an unconventional family, right? Right. And and they were from... like a community that helped each other. And so it was weird that they would decide to rob their own friends. Yeah, I think coming out of the 80s, there's sort of like a unapologetic like selfishness of like the early 90s that I read into this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where it's just like, yeah, it's like cool to be an asshole. And like, yeah. <laughs> or like there's some greater rule that justifies these bad acts mm-hmm. right like we need the money or like yeah. we're more able to get it therefore we should get to have it yeah i think there's the sort of like collapse of society that you're like well coming out of that then like everybody's just like on their own mm-hmm. so yeah let's like rob the people that we know that mm-hmm. we're sometimes friends with it, right and sometimes not and sometimes yeah. you as a father figure and sometimes don't yeah um and that it's all in the game Right, yeah. and like that that idea. There's also like an idleness to this movie that reads very '90s to me, where it's like, yeah, you could not have a real source of income and just like somehow make it to Europe and do stuff in Europe, and then like come home. Right uh, before sunrise, like had a mm-hmm. lot of elements of this that were like, yeah. similar, where it was just like, yeah, when you're a young person, you're lost, so you just like go to Europe and like find yourself. And it was like possible at that time to do that because it only costs like like hundred bucks to like get a plane ticket to Rome. Right. So you just turn one trick and there you yeah. go. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. If you're playing target. Right. They're just very high class. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas like now it's like only the wealthy can go to Europe and yeah. Yeah. Which calls back further to like yeah. a, a great Gatsby Gilded Age type era, like what we're experiencing now. Yeah. Right? Like the for people sure. that are the people now that are running away to Europe. Are the the tip top most wealthy folks, um, as opposed to in the nineties, um, you could just do you could that. reasonably mm-hmm. do that, you could yeah. Do that. Um, which is yeah, not the case anymore. The other very nineties element to me was that there's no like communication technology here, yeah. yeah. But they somehow like run into people, yeah. <laughs> like they're just like <laughs> running into people that they know, which again is like very Seinfeld, right? Where, That's like, true. They go to the same diner every day. Yeah, people just your like, best friend lives next door. Show up your house, and like yeah. you, the common characters that we know are there. They, they and, keep bumping into Hans somehow. Yes. Yeah, that would yeah, yeah. really didn't make sense. <laughs> um, yeah, but, they bumped into him and in, into him in Idaho. Right. Well, and, and this movie utilizes not quite a dream logic, but like a dream-like logic with this narcolepsy thing that keeps coming up. It's like Gus Van Sant would like need a cutaway to some other place, and just so he just knocks out the River Phoenix character and he wakes up in Idaho. Or yeah, yeah. Uh, most notably when he like tells Keanu that he's like in love with him. Yeah. And then he like wakes up, and you're like, oh, I guess that didn't happen. It could happen. Yeah. Like it's. It, there's nothing fantastic about it, but mm-hmm. yeah, and I think we're yeah. supposed to be we're meant to read that as real because um, I think that so yeah. much of this is about it, it, the River Phoenix character pining for uh, pining for Keanu and yeah. Keanu being like this tourist. But right? the movie leaves mm-hmm. open the notion that like it may not be real. Okay, I, I didn't read it that way, but that's yeah. fair. That, that <laughs> might yeah. be true. Um, but yeah, I think that there is some of that. And we do have like, like you have the house falling onto the street and things like that. So we have like uh, yeah. this almost impressionistic style of filmmaking. Early I don't on. know what, what purpose those scenes really served. Well, I mean, the, uh, the symbolism of like this guy having lost his home and his mother mm-hmm. and the house falls from the sky onto the street that he, you know, sees as like home. Okay. <laughs> right? Like the, that imagery, I think, is, is uh, self-evident. And, and the other... I would argue also that it's the director Gus Van Sant showing how creative and artistic he is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think he was, he's young at this point, and 
he yeah. kind of does that stuff a lot anyway. And um, yeah, yeah, I think that's part of it. And I, I don't like when the art like calls attention to itself like that. Yeah, it, it, I find it distracting and mm -hmm. kind of like self-serving. Yeah, I mean, I, I was okay with it here. Like, so, especially like those time-lapse sequences, like some of those I think were just aesthetically very pleasing. Like mm -hmm. I, I thought that a lot of those worked well for me. Um, and he didn't he didn't do it a lot. Like he had the the one where he with the house falling. A lot of the Shakespeare stuff read that. Yeah, or it's like, all right, we got it. Like you're writing Shakespeare. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like that. That seems strange because I mean, yeah. sometimes they're just randomly speaking like Shakespeare in a Shakespearean fashion, and then randomly they aren't. I don't know. I yeah, don't... I, I I I had fun with that. Like I thought that that yeah. was I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought that it was maybe not clever, but I like that he's showing that you know we're telling the same stories over and over again, right? And mm -hmm. that I, I and like this feeling of a movie that's being almost cobbled together. <laughs> like we're, it, it, we have this young director, right? Like we have all these young up and coming stars and they just have like a lot of ideas and a lot of things mm -hmm. that sound cool. And they like pull them all together into this sure. one text. I was, I was into that. Like I was, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm along for the ride here. Like I'll, yeah. I'll look over the scenes on this one. I, I guess what I was yearning for was a bit more of like a cohesive idea, like yeah, picking one the... consistent idea to, uh, to, to be thematic throughout the film, to be consistent throughout the film, right? Like some of my favorite parts of the movie were some of the more experimental scenes, like at the beginning where they have the magazine covers talking to yeah, each that other. Was cool. I okay. thought that was a fun sort like of scene. That. Or like yeah. the way he depicted the sex scenes as stills, but not stills. <laughs> yep. Like I thought that was an interesting way to do it, but at the same time, it didn't feel consistent with the rest of the movie. They just seemed kind of there. Um, and so that fits in with what Crossman said, where it kind of draws attention to itself that he's trying to be artsy. Yeah, and, and I think he was, and I guess I have a high tolerance for that, and mm -hmm. that's me, and that's fine. But I, I think if we're looking at like what is, if there is a thing that is moving this movie forward, like if there is one, you know, quality of this, of this character, it, that is for the River Phoenix character, it's this longing, like he's this yeah. guy that like clearly feels disconnected from the people around him. Is reaching out for connection from these people and, and being denied over and over and over again, right? Like he, it opens with him alone on a road. He doesn't have a parent. He learns that the parent apparently didn't really care about him all that much, and that he was this product of incest, so he kind of doesn't have a father either. He reaches out to Keanu with really the most affecting scene in the movie, yeah. and is rebuffed, right? He goes to Europe to find his mother. She's not there, and his only friend essentially abandons him. And we have this closing scene where. The, the betrayal becomes complete, where he not only abandons him, but also abandons the culture and the community that they, they have been a part of. Yeah. Um, to me, that that held the movie together, like that um, that, that core sadness in the, the River Phoenix character. Um, and really, I thought that he was great in it, and like that resonated for me, mm -hmm. like that worked. Um, so that, that I found effective. Um, I, it was also interesting, like where this movie is situated in the leads' careers, because right? mm -hmm. this is 1991. This movie was Keanu's follow-up to Point Break. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty wild. Yes, I it did, is. I did not know that. Yeah, this yeah. is the movie he did immediately. I think they after. came out like pretty, like months apart. Yes. Yeah, they came out very close to one another. Interesting. Very different movie. That is a statement. It is. Yeah. Um, AIDS is still very active at this point. We're still in dealing with the aftermath of the Reagan administration. Queer representation in film is a just not there or like a joke. And Keanu and River Phoenix, both rising stars. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, River probably more so at this point. Like, pick this movie that 
is not only very clearly a gay movie, but like is a gay movie that treats it seriously and like treats homosexuality and a hustler lifestyle as something that isn't a joke mm-hmm. and that real people actually experience and that it has uh, that that people in that culture like have a lived experience that is beyond just that culture. Yeah. And without like calling attention to the fact that hey I'm playing a gay character. Right? Like that's not the most interesting thing about any of these guys or any of these characters. And that's remarkable. That's something that it's almost impo- it would be impossible to make this movie today not because like of the content, but just because it would be impossible to find an actor that would play a gay character that isn't about that being like either calling attention to their straightness or it being a Jared Leto type award chase. <laughs> and that Keanu did that and River Phoenix did that is yeah. exceptional. It kind of makes sense after Point Break there because like one of the like heavy implications of Point Break is that like so, yeah, the that, two main characters like love each other. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's yeah, it's sensible in that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm wondering what you... You guys mentioned earlier that you really like Keanu Reeves' performance in this one. I'm wondering what you liked about it because I feel like I am always way too distracted by Keanu Reeves' voice and, like, the way he talks. And I always find it, like, very distracting. And I don't think it, like, is good. Because it feels very wooden. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I usually <laughs> describe him. Which is, like, the, the common critique. Yeah. Uh, uh, level that uh, Keanu... Um, I guess I just, I, I saw more range from him here than you typically yeah. see, right? Like, he's essentially doing Shakespeare for, like, a good 15 minutes in this movie. Yeah. Um, I found, like, the nonchalance that he can bring to roles in general really effective for this character that is acting as a tourist in this culture, right? Like, he's not doing this for survival. He's doing it for fun. He can walk away whenever he wants. So, like, his, like, semi-disconnect and, like, borderline disdain for the people around him I found really effective especially mm-hmm. paired against River Phoenix who is so clearly reaching out for connection and and failing to find it um, I so for me like piano specific style that can sometimes read as stiff but mm-hmm. I think it's more often reserved um, mm-hmm. was really effective for so you for think it guy. is more like effective casting they, they like yeah. aimed him the right way right which is I mean that's gonna be a necessary part of nearly any good performance yeah, yeah, right um, and I, I do maintain that I think Keanu is just a good actor in general, um, but I think that's why it works here. I don't know. What do you think, Crossman? Yeah, I, I would agree with those things. I think he's very, um, like, I think he's good at, like, commun- communicating, like, what the character is going through. Mm-hmm. And he does a good job of, like, embodying that. I think, mm-hmm. um, I think the, like, The Matrix is a really good example of this, that, like, sure. his... The confusion of like the main character, he does like a really good job like communicating that, and then yeah. as he like learns and becomes more effective, you see his like, it's a very physical performance, and his body like straightens out, and he, yeah. he like looks stronger. Whereas like earlier in the movie when he doesn't know anything, he's like very beaten down. And yeah, I yeah. think I think we don't give him enough credit for that. That's true. I, I didn't really think about that with relation in relation to his Matrix performance. Yeah, yeah. well, and you can see how because. He since the Matrix, like he has really leaned into being an action star. Yeah, and he's a great leading man. He's, he's a great leading man, yeah. and like we have these John Wick movies now, right? Yeah, and like that is all just physical performance. Like, yeah, that's that's why he has those roles. I think I came around more on Keanu when I heard him speak in interviews and things more, and learned that that really is just how he talks. Like, yeah, that's what his voice is, um, and I think that that like 
help me figure out him as an actor a little bit more. You, you kind of figure out his baselines. You can, right. You can understand it. Right. Um, and I, I think that helped me um, with, with piano in general. Um, yeah, I like him a lot. I really like him a lot here. It might be one of my favorite performances from him. I think, yeah, mm -hmm. he, to me, carries this film. Yeah. I, I don't think I would like this film if not for Keanu being in it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine it in yeah. any other way. Um, I, I thought River was great, too, though. Like, yeah. it, I, I, I'm not sure I've seen any River Phoenix movies before me this either. one. Um, so Raiders. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Just yeah, we talked about this. Off, <laughs> he's off not a main run. character in Raiders, right? So he's young Indiana Jones in Raiders. Oh, not Raiders in uh, what? Last Crusade. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that one I haven't seen yet. Still. Okay. Well, Raiders <laughs> is in it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I hadn't seen one where he was in a leading role in an adult. Um, what a loss! My goodness, he was great here. What? Uh, what an absolute loss. You know, heroin too. It was it, it, um, multiple drugs. I'm sure. Um, yeah. I also. Uh, I've been to the bar that he died at. Really? Hmm. Yes, it's on the Hollywood Strip. Okay. He overdosed outside the bar. And he died at the bar? Like, outside the bar, yeah. Dang. He wasn't, like, taken to the hospital and died at the hospital? Maybe, but okay. he, like, famously, like, OD'd, like, there. Wow. It's at, I'm blanking on the name. It's, like, a famous, like, rock <laughs> okay. club on Hollywood Strip that's still, mm -hmm. like, open. And, yeah, he, like, died outside of it. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that his, uh, it, when I was researching this movie. I didn't realize that his um, his brother called the hospital, called 911. Joaquin, Joaquin. Uh, yeah, was there with him, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and, but it wasn't that long after this movie. Like, he was almost certainly using drugs when this movie was made, mm -hmm. being made. Like, that must be true. Um, it was strange to find out that Joaquin's his younger brother. Cause he's not. Is he not? Yeah, did I, did I, I calculate them wrong? Okay. I think Joaquin's four years older. Okay. Yeah, I close. might have gone in reverse then. They're close in age. Because okay. um, yeah, I checked too. I wasn't. I wasn't sure. Um, but before before watching this movie, I did look up River Phoenix because I'm pretty sure I remember hearing that he had died pretty much like early very, early yes. on. He's right. part of the. Um, oh no, he's not a 27 Club person. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he died. He was very, even younger very, than that, right? Yeah, he was 23. But what yeah. was interesting was I felt like it colored my perception of the movie watching because it really felt like I was watching someone at the end of their life, even though that's not like what the character was supposed to be. It's That sort of mood fit with the mood of the movie. I agree. The Viper Room is the name of the bar. Okay. Mm. There we go. Yeah. Um, but yes, I agree. I think it, it, it unavoidably colors this film, but it also yeah. suits this film um, because he, he is in mortal danger. Like, the character is in mortal oh, danger yeah. at multiple occasions, right? The narcolepsy alone <laughs> is going to impair him. But it, it felt like a very somber and sad sort of, like, fade out. Yeah. yeah and it's a sad movie. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Like, this is, you know, a, there's not a tidy resolution. Things basically don't work out for the main character. Well, nothing works out. The other, the Keanu character is a, a, a Judas, apparently. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it kind of ends sad. I mean, it just gets worse, right? Because yeah. he, it ends with him getting robbed, and then like, I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be hopeful that someone picked them up because you assume that they have good intentions. But right. Who well, knows? It, it feels like a good Samaritan moment, right? Yeah. Because like, what then? What happens in the Good Samaritan story in the Bible is the guy does like he's end up on the side of the road and he does get robbed. Like that's the first yeah. thing that happens to him, <laughs> and then somebody else comes along and like tends to him. So I mean, that I think was meant to be a, a hopeful moment and perhaps yeah. a biblical moment, which would make sense for this movie, right, to draw from the Bible. Um, but, yeah, I, it, it's, a, it's a sad movie. Yeah. Right? It's a, it's a, for me, it was a genuinely sad movie. 
Um, one sequence that I liked a lot was towards the beginning of the movie where we had these um, stories from the various hustlers mm -hmm. that are just uh, almost unnamed, I think, but it's just like two guys and we hear stories about like their first date or like a date that went wrong and that they're just told, the, A, they, they feel very plausible. Like mm -hmm. it, it seems like Gus Van Sant could have just like gone on the street and interviewed some people and gotten these stories, yeah. Yeah. which very well maybe would happen. Yeah. Um, and they're told in such a nonchalant way Right, like it's just there's so matter of yeah. fact about it. It's like, yeah, I nearly died, and yeah, I got beaten up, and I didn't have anything to do with it, and I was also broken, homeless, and basically still am. Yeah, and it's just told so flatly and just so plainly. Yeah, um, well, I mean, because really they're essentially effective. all like friends hanging out in a diner, yeah. right? Or yeah. I think I think it was a Chinese restaurant or something. I like think that. you're right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, that was an effective technique for me that worked really well. Yeah, and helped to build this world, which I think is something that. Uh, Gus Van Zandt was trying to do here. Is it just me, or were those scenes almost like a shot in a documentary style? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's that is fair. Yeah, that that reads true to me. Um, so that that worked really well. Um, have we seen any other Van Zandt movies? I don't think. Uh, what else has he look. done? <laughs> uh, most famously, Good Will Hunting. Uh, okay, that was his biggest movie. I feel like I've seen that, but I don't remember any of it. I like Good Will Hunting a lot. I've seen it a lot of times. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a great movie, but he didn't. Write it, and it was, it was kind of one of his. He will do like director for hire type of yeah. jobs, um, and that was one of them. And he ended up like winning an Oscar for it, I think, yeah. being nominated. Yeah. Um, well, he he didn't get really artsy for that one, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he, that's a more conventional story. Yeah, yeah, that's more that's telling it pretty straight. Um, but yeah, he continued to make a film in queer cinema, and I, I think he's is a relatively significant figure in that uh, world, um, mm -hmm. especially. Out of the nineties, yeah, yeah, but he, he's he's made a lot of movies. There's a lot of music stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He, I think that some of this um, is funded by his music video career, oh. which again is a, a common uh, technique. Yeah, yeah. I don't appear to have seen any of his other films. Okay, well, there, he has a lot of them. So if <laughs> if any of those look good, you'll have plenty of opportunity to see them. Um, so that worked well. Um, what do we think of the uh, the bits in in Italy when they ended up in Italy? That was funny because it's like not romantic Italy. They like yeah. go to Rome and then they like immediately leave. They just like go out to the countryside. Right, it's the yeah. middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And but they, then it becomes romantic again because Keanu like makes it with this girl. Yeah, um, like they set it up like it's going to be like a reunion or something. Yeah, or like something in the city, and they like immediately like undercut that. Right. So that was. Good. Yeah, and then they explained yeah. it was like a really long drive. Like they, they had to yeah. like, oh. it was like several hours from Rome to wherever they. Oh, I've seen Finding Forrester. This is another. Oh, I saw that too. Oh. It's I forgot that he did that. Well, kind of problematic film on yeah. retrospect. But. Yeah, I saw it. I think around <laughs> yeah. the time it came out. I don't yeah. know how well it holds up. But we would not have your the man now dog that's right. without Finding Forrester. That's, <laughs> that's important true. internet. Actually, we we no longer have your the man now dog. That site was shut down a few months ago. Our, yeah, RAP. Yeah, so that's, yeah. Uh, that's a sad thing, um, but I, I liked the the um, the Rome sequences, and uh, I liked that it kind of let uh, Van Zandt play with more landscapes. You can tell that he's really occupied with landscapes in this movie, and yeah, especially yeah, landscapes yeah. of the Midwest. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, even if they left Rome, I think the Italian countryside was still quite beautiful. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah still definitely. great sites. Um, it was. It was sort of a mixture of tragedy and like romantic comedy because yeah. they have like that kind of 
love triangle dynamic going on where he's like having sex with a girl while he's trying to while uh, Mike is trying to sleep mm-hmm. and he can overhear them but like it's tragic because he's in love with Scott yep. and, and so there was a mixture of like humor and tragedy there yeah and and it worked I think that there's this mixture of humor and tragedy throughout this movie yeah right like there's a lot of do we do we laugh or cry do we laugh at the crying like we'll cry at laughing um and and i do think that those sequences brought that together to a point and and it again showed the yearning and anguish of this the mike character being unable again to connect with anybody and first scott and then literally his mother being not being present when she should be yeah and it, it kind of further cements keanu's betrayal of yes. their culture i guess because like you know he says earlier that he he's only gay for pay i guess yep. you could say um and so anytime he can just like be straight again and be quote unquote a normal person again yep. whereas the other people don't really have that luxury right and so that's like a further betrayal yeah well and it and he completes it eventually because he shows oh, yeah. up with that girl yeah at whatever club it is that at the end of the yeah, movie so he gets to go back and have like a quote unquote normal life normal life as a rich man that's yeah. that's like the perfect like gen x story though is just someone yeah. who is like being like a tourist in like grunge culture mm-hmm. and then your trust fund comes too and yeah, there you go <laughs> and just leaves and then just becomes like a rich person and like does rich people jobs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. that I think that was yeah. another moment where Keanu's performance really comes through because he uses what we read as stiffness to great effect in that moment because yeah, when yeah, he turned when when Bob is pleading with him at that restaurant to like acknowledge his existence when he turns around with like that blank Keanu affect and tells him with just deadpan like you're not part of my life anymore leave me alone don't talk to me yeah right that's where the cold stiffness like is affected right like that's exactly what that scene called for um so more good casting and and good choices from from Keanu here because that that was that was a real gut punch yeah yeah Yeah. um but to me that was like very emblematic of like gen x generation where it's mm -hmm. just like once you make it then you're just like all right, back in business. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a I moment know. of like youthful uh, um, indiscretion. Yeah, indiscretion. <laughs> yeah. Or the, well, he had the whole line about how it's better if he like falls from grace and then pulls himself back out of it. So just like this kind of performative thing for his father. I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's also constructive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you just become some like psycho small business guy, and yeah, that's and just like the story of your like life, your life is set. All like. Gen X people. Right. As a, yeah. In contrast to yeah. the Mike character who's, you know, searingly earnest the entire movie. Like, everything about him is just, you know, honest out there. Opposite of Right. The an open nerve the entire time. Yeah, of, of course he's going to end up in the street. Yeah. Right? Like, he's he's fighting against everything that the society is teaching him at this moment. Mm-hmm. And it's rewarding. Um, as opposed to Keanu, uh, the Scott character who's playing right now. Yeah. Um, a really effective scene was... Um, I think it's right before they reveal that Keanu's money has kicked in, mm-hmm. or I think it's like the first time they reveal it, but you see uh, Mike on the street and he's like kind of like sitting on a wall so you can't see his face and mm-hmm. the camera pans up and into Keanu's limo. Yep. Uh, and I think that's the first time they reveal that he's like gone back to being a rich person, right? And that's such a big contrast. And Keanu's looking out the window, just doesn't notice Mike, even though he's right there. Yep. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And that yeah. was such a gut punch. Yeah. And and, and that's like you see like like Gus Van Zandt's kind of all, all over the place in this movie, right? Like he is impressionistic sometimes, he's you know, making a road movie sometimes, but like you see these glimmers of like brilliance. Like there are shots that are just really 
strike you. I'm like, mm -hmm. that's one of them, right? Like yeah. that, that pan works really well, communicates yeah. the characters really well, communicates the passage of time well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought that that's well observed. Yeah. This to me fits in with like a lot of movies from this era that mm -hmm. are kind of like about being a young person and like not knowing what you should do. Um, singles comes to mind. Yeah. Well, you already mentioned Before Sunrise. Before Sunrise is a good example of this. Um, yep. I would even put like the Kevin Smith early yes, movies definitely. into that. Clerks. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what was the other one I was thinking of? Uh, Re Repo Man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was another one. Where they're all just kind of about like you you don't know what to do as a young person and you're just like surrounded by capital mm -hmm. at all times, but you're like not a participant in it. And then nothing happens. And yeah. Then, <laughs> well I, I think and, it, it they're then, also go ahead, sorry. Well, well this movie does a good job of like showing Keanu's arc here. Yeah, well, and, and I think Mike's yeah. arc too. Like Mike's a more static character, but I think that that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also a product of movie making becoming much less expensive, right? Like this yeah. is these are all like '90s indie movies that you're listing here. You can put like every Linklater movie of that era on that list as well. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Right? Like, like say anything. Say like, yeah. Certainly say anything. And yeah. like so these like like they're. There's an informality to the structure of this movie and a lot of the movies you mentioned, but there's also a, such an enthusiasm for movie making. <laughs> like these guys yeah. are like so excited to be putting something on film, mm -hmm. um, and I think that that really comes through here, um, and that's kind of nice to see, right? It, yeah, I agree. I, agree. I, I, I like that a lot about this era. Um, so I, I'm really willing to forgive a lot of the rough edges, and there are plenty here um, because of just that obvious exuberance for just doing it, <laughs> just being able to do it. Yeah, and that's cool. Yeah, I like I like that a lot. Yeah, I think like a lot of these movies are either plotless or they're about like finding love during a time when like nothing really makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, singles is like the version of that. This movie deals a lot with that. Yeah. Again, before sunrise, and then and then there are the sense. other kind of like versions of this, where the more the Kevin Smith type where it's just like no there's no point to the movie at yeah, all well, or, or the, it's just like hijink it's like teen hijink the other yeah. early Linklater movie of this era which is Slacker which is exactly what it's, it's literally like <laughs> Linklater with a camera just like following around weird conversations in Austin in the early 90s <laughs> that's what the um, movie is that's kind of what Singles is sure. too where it's just like that but like Cameron Crow and like Pearl Jam's in it right yeah. <laughs> sure uh, very um, 90s and, yeah. but yeah aggressively plotless and I, I like that I think that we're not necessarily wrong to fight against plot right like there's something to be said for just like being with a character and like yeah. exploring what structure can be outside of traditional three act or four act um, composition I mean, there, there's enough movies out there we got room for that kind exactly. of art exactly so I, I, I like that well it's a reaction experiment. to that right that like yeah. Everything's been made, so like, how do you make everything or right. something that's not it's everything? It's the same as contemporary art, where yeah. they they eschew representation because that's all been done. You got right. to do something new, right? And of course, they just did it in France first, yeah, thirty years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> fine, um, that's fine. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Like, it's an interesting like artifact from. The nineties. Yeah, I genuinely and, enjoyed it. I, I think this type of film like doesn't exist anymore. It it's so not. Much, it's not possible. It's so much harder to get this made. Like it. it, it it's also like very of its moment. Like I think this yeah. is like the sort of like grunge 
Well, we had, yeah, we still yeah. have Linklater making movies, right? Like, yeah, everybody wants some. I think has some of this in it, um, but he's a a child of the '90s, right? And he has some clout now. So if he wants to keep making those movies, they'll let him. Um, I think it, it, you're right in that it would be harder for like a new director to come along and say like I want to make this, right? And, yeah. yeah. And, and also like queer cinema is situated differently now, and that I, I think it is harder to cast this movie, and and that, yeah, you would have to. You would catch a lot of criticism for not casting gay actors. Right, yeah. or you would end up with, a, again, like a Jared Leto type of thing where you're not casting a gay actor, but you're ca casting someone who's chasing oh, an the award, award yeah. and like wanting to underline their own straightness, right, in contrast to the, their performance. Like, that, isn't it? Isn't it wild that I'm doing this thing because I'm so straight? Uh, like that, yeah. that, that is like one of the underlying jokes about Tropic, Thund Tropic Thunder. Sure. Yeah. And it's done... So funny in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's Dallas Buyers Club, right? Like, isn't it wild that Jared Leto is doing this thing because he's actually so such a straight guy and so attractive to women and gets all the women. And it's like, yeah, that sucks. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that's shitty. Um, so I think that that makes it harder to produce this kind of movie right now as well. Sure. You get the Keanu Reeves people in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, any uh, any closing thoughts on Realm Private Idaho? I mean, it's another one of those movies where I can appreciate it academically, but don't enjoy watching. Yeah, that's it's, it's fine. That, that's fair. Uh, yeah, I, I like a lot of the stuff here. I think when it's being like really art house cute, I'm like, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I I mean, and I as is well documented by now, a high tolerance for that yeah. kind of thing. Um, and I, I genuinely enjoyed this movie. I could certainly see myself watching it again. Um, so. Yeah, especially now that we're in the middle of this piano renaissance, like, go back to this one. Like, yeah. It's worth checking out yeah, for that he's, reason. He's so good. He's, yeah, he is so good. I um, mean, mourn the loss of, of River Phoenix, truly. Like, <laughs> yeah. That was, we lost a lot of really excellent movies when, when he died. Um, okay, but we'll be back uh, in a moment with, uh, with things we've seen. Hello and welcome to Things We've Seen. This is the segment where we discuss more recent movies, often in theater or on streaming services that we do not watch for the assigned viewing with the show. Um, you guys both saw the same movie this last weekend. Um, which one was it? And tell us about it. Yeah, uh, so we both saw Hobbs and Shaw, the, the new uh, Fast and Furious spin-off action movie uh, starring The Rock and Jason Statham and the tag team. And, and Idris Elba. And Idris Elba, yes. Yep. Uh, Idris Elba is the main villain, and The Rock and Jason Statham team up uh, to try to take him down. Um, and I had a great time with this one. It was a lot of fun, as I as I had expected uh, going into it. Um, what do you think, Crossman? Yeah, I loved it. I, I think it's a good summer movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's got that kind of like wild, over the top action that I really hunger for all the time. And I think it, <laughs> I think it does a great job at that. It keeps the action interesting. It gives you enough plot that the things on screen matter. The characters are very charismatic and cool. Uh, a lot of great moments in it. Um, I think Vanessa Kirby does a great job as well, coming off um, her her small but really great role in Mission Impossible Fallout. I love and that. she plays, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and she plays essentially the same character in this movie, uh, except that she gets to get in on the action and like fight for herself, which I thought was really awesome. Yeah, I like. The Rock and Statham together. Yeah. Uh, it's not an obvious pairing, but they're actually quite 
good together. Like they're really funny. Yeah, they're sort of like uh, a jigsaw puzzle, right? They kind of fit into each other's strengths. Yes, which is what the movie's about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but it's done really well. Like they're very funny together. Like surprisingly funny. Yeah, yeah. I love that the movie plays into the campiness of the situation, um, and it's just like basically comedy all throughout, and it picks the right tone for that, and it really leans into the ridiculousness of it. Yeah. So, in preparation for this film, as... as what, a, what do you need to do to prepare for this movie? I, well, <laughs> as a joke, I suggested to my girlfriend that we're like, well, we'll be lost if we don't watch... <laughs> all the other Fast and Furious. All the other Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> and she took that seriously, and we, and we did that. Oh, and man. She had never seen any of them. Mm-hmm. How many are there now? There's like... There are eight. Like eight, yeah. And so th- many this movies. is like 8.5, basically. Yeah. Because um, it's not a part of like the primary arc, uh-huh. um, and the movies are so good. <laughs> like, yeah, aside of a few exceptions, are. most of them are very good. Did you yeah. like them? She uh, had a visceral reaction to Tokyo Drift, the third one, and did <laughs> not like that one. But otherwise, across the board, thought that yeah. they were good. You watched all eight. All eight. When did you start? Um, like roughly a week and a half before we saw. So that's oh like, my god! It's like one every day. Yeah, we watched one every day. Yeah. Wow. Jesus Christ! That's dedication. That's right? a lot of haste to it. Well, they're part of the reason we do that is they're good. Like you're just like <laughs> yeah, yeah no, let's for watch sure. the they're, next they're one. They're very easy to watch. <laughs> they're good. very fun. And now they're like, it's, you know, it's it's on par with like an HBO series in terms of like time involvement mm-hmm. to just like watch each one. Yeah. So it's like it's like streaming a HBO series. Like, yeah. Um, I, I will say there are a few standouts in the series. Um, five and six are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Five in particular is awesome. I just love all the five through eight yeah. the entire run. Uh, when they like get the band back together and it turns into like a high series and they do away yeah. with like the racing part, that's when they, they made that brilliant turn switch, in five. Yeah. And I think the other choice that they made starting I think in four but like really came to the front in five was that as much as possible they just like do the action scenes real mm-hmm. and it pays off so well mm-hmm. have you seen I saw the, I've seen five? the first one uh, no I don't think I've seen the first one okay. I've seen bits and pieces so the notable like set piece in five is that they steal yeah a safe Mm-hmm. Uh, a very large one yeah very large one and they drag it behind two cars and okay. they're in Rio and that's how they like get away is they sure. like steal the safe okay um and they just like did that they did it yeah they were like <laughs> dragging a giant safe behind these two cars and they, they had a number of tricks to do it obviously but they like like dragged it through a building and they like just like did that like yeah they yeah can't be good for the road <laughs> no, well, no. Well, they shot in Puerto Rico, apparently. So, uh, so here. Yeah. So they like <laughs> probably did like fuck up the roads there. Um, yeah. But it's remarkable that they just like, yeah, it was just like, yeah, let's, let's shoot it real. Okay. And wow. They do it a lot in this series. Mm-hmm. One of the noticeable things about this one, though, is that there were a lot of CG elements, and yeah. they've they've gone into like. A sci-fi area with like yeah, yeah, Interstellar's yeah. character that it was like it felt like a pretty big departure from the main series where it's like 
I mean, the main series has kind of gotten out there a bit too. Yeah, but this one's like even further where there's like that's true. Nano, yeah, because he he's like a cyborg plot. in this one. Sure, he, um, yeah. he, and he's got like this really cool robot motorcycle, which is like the coolest <laughs> thing in the whole movie. It like folds yeah. up when he needs it, and it like drives up to him and picks him up while he's mid sprint. Like a transformer. And, yeah, yeah, it was really a lot like a transformer. <laughs> okay, it was really cool. There's a lot All of right. cool scenes with that bike. Um, one problem I had with this movie was that, uh, and I I lamented this earlier, but the trailers show way too much. And yeah. like, that's a common problem now, but I felt like the trailers for this one were even more egregious, where it felt like literally every single marquee action scene uh, was spoiled in a trailer. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Every single one. There was like one moment that I thought was really cool that wasn't in a trailer. Okay. So a lot of the surprise impact was lost. And a lot of the cool stuff about an action scene is being surprised when it happens and being like, I can't believe they just did that, right? And a lot of that was undercut by the trailers, and that was unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. that's on the studio. Like, they, oh, yeah. that they It's not the director or anybody. That yeah, cuts that I don't think they needed that to sell it. Yeah. They, they gave away a lot of the good jokes, too. That's nice. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. What's interesting, though, is that this is still, like, a singular vision by, like, the same writer. It's the same guy that wrote uh, 4 through oh, yeah. 8. Really? So, yeah. Okay. Same guy. So it's, like, his singular vision throughout... This guy's well, still not getting That doesn't happen tank. very often. Very rarely. And yeah. uh, Justin Lin directed this one, and he directed... Oh, good. Oh, I didn't see that. That's great. The, most of the four through eight. I, th- I think it's Justin Lin. He had the I most recent so. uh, Star Trek movie, too, right? Didn't he do the... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they had he might have done, like... Was he the one who did Aquaman? Uh, I don't remember who directed Aquaman, but... Maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm, like, double-checking double this now. Um, but, yeah, I like that it's, like, the same people that are, like, still... Involved, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It makes it feel more coherent. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if our audience is like me and hasn't seen every Fast and Furious movie, like, is this movie still worthwhile? It, it doesn't. You don't need to watch one okay. through eight to get it. Yeah, but, I mean, it's a mindless it, action movie. You know that these guys are like tough guys. Yeah, and you get the point. Okay, like they need to stop this thing, right? Okay. Like, no context needed. Yeah. You, you do get, like, a little bit of background from the other ones. Yeah, he did direct Star Trek Beyond. That's yes. what I thought. Um, that was good. Another Idris Elba movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Idris Elba, fucking fantastic. He's a very charismatic guy, both as a hero and as a villain. He was super badass in this one. Uh, it was fan- It was great. Yeah. yeah. Sounds about right. That's, yeah. No surprise, no surprise there. Right? Yeah. He was awesome. Um, and I like that the antagonistic relationship between Hobbs and our main characters, Hobbs and Shaw, is like late in the film, they're still like pressing <laughs> each other's buttons. Yeah. And it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's not like the sort of like nineties buddy cop where they like come around on each other and like right. make up. They do do they, that. They but, do. But it's like very late into the film they're still like messing with each other. Yeah, and yeah. It, that's I think really good and funny. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad we have more funny statham. Yeah, and I liked towards the end of the movie, there was one kind of love letter to the earlier Fast and Furious movies that I really cracked up on. It's where, and this is in the trailers, so it's where the (laughs) trucks are all connected and they're trying to hold back the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then they get out of it by like everyone pressing the NOS button. <laughs> and so they start, they, they hit the NOS and it does the camera pan into the engine where the engine like starts going crazy because they hit the NOS. And that's like a very Fast and the Furious type scene. Yeah. And so I, I chuckled a bit. I couldn't help but love that kind of callback. That's pretty good. Yeah, I liked that too. I also 
throughout the week learned a lot about NAS. <laughs> uh, I looked up how NAS works, which yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, it's real. Yes. Okay. It, it is. It is real. Um, the way that it's portrayed in Fast and Furious films is not always correct. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, Shocking. Most notably in Fast and Furious One, where there's a car that gets shot up, and then because of the NAS inside, it explodes in like a giant fireball. Okay. Um, Real quick, <laughs> the way that NOS works is it like hypercools the air, which makes it like really dense. Oh. And when you inject very dense air into an engine, you can burn more fuel. Yeah. And so the engine can run more efficiently and faster. Yeah. Than oh, okay. Um, it can damage your engine though because it can run like too fast. Yeah, and it can. Yeah, that. the mechanics of the engine need to be able to like handle that. What that means, though, is that if you were to like pierce a NOS canister, it would not explode in a fireball because you need fuel to do yeah. that. Um, and even if it were to explode, it would just be like a mechanical uh, failure where yeah. the tank would like launch itself, but it wouldn't like mm. go into like a fireball. It wouldn't yeah. combust. Yeah, okay. and it would be very cold actually um, uh, if it were to explode because nitrous oxide. Uh, as a gas is like would yeah, be I never very thought cool. about that. See, I, yeah. I think they could do yeah. something cool with that. I agree. You know? <laughs> yeah. right. agree. Like but, the reality. But then it wouldn't make sense to the audience because they assume it would blow up. Yeah, right? well, that they would learn. <laughs> but that always cracks me up about the first movie because he's like nosing his car too hard at one point yes. during a drag race. But what happens is that his car's floor falls out, <laughs> which is just totally unrelated <laughs> to yeah. anything that would happen when your engine's failing. Yeah. And that's how they depicted his car's failing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Why not? The other, uh, fuck, who, the woman that plays Mia in the early films, uh -huh. um, I remember uh, that the, the the whole first film is like a commercial for you should buy NAS and put it in like your Honda yeah. Civic. And, <laughs> yeah. And like NAS has said many times, you see you see NAS get used in the films. Um, I remember seeing an interview with a woman who plays Mia and they're like, hey, how about that Nas? Like, isn't it cool? And she's like, what? They're, <laughs> like, they're like, you know, the major plot point of this film is using Nas in a car. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and she says like, that's great. No clue. <laughs> that's, that's very funny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, thumbs up for Hobbs and Shaw. Great yep. summer movie. Go see it. Go into um, it knowing, like, expecting what you're going to get, and it's yeah, going to be course. a great time. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Cool. And I'm excited for nine. Yes. And ten. Did they announce ten? Yeah. All uh, right. Ten is going to be the final one, apparently. But Bullshit. you know, they said they said seven and eight were going to cool. be the final one. Yeah. And then so. there's also going to be a like a women of Fast and Furious movie. Uh, too. Okay. Yeah. They could do infinity spinoffs, even if they yeah. do end it at ten. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Two will be coming out at some point. I would not be surprised to see yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Um, they they already hinted at a sequel. So. Yeah. Yeah. They said at the end is like the sequel is coming. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Who do you think the Robot voices. I have theories. Um, people are theorizing that it's the the CIA guy who's the cameo that I won't spoil because the movie kind of just came out. Oh, he's very funny in it, though. Yes. That was unexpected. Um, I, I think it's Charlize Theron. Okay. Did, did she die in, in, in the no, movie? No, she gets she away. Oh, okay. I <laughs> yeah, forgot. I did just watch eight. So Charlize <laughs> okay. Theron is the, the bad gal in... 
Fast and Furious 8. Oh, that's a strong she, selling point. And she gets away. Yeah. Fate of the Furious is Fast and Furious yep. 8. Okay. Good pun. She gets away. Uh, so I would assume it's her. That would be awesome. Yeah. Okay. I'm into Charlie Theron. So. Yeah. Yeah. More of her. She's great. Cool. Uh, my turn? Yeah. Okay. I saw a movie called The Art of Self Defense. Um, this stars. I heard this is really good. This it was is, really good. I like this. It's like 100% around around to me. Is it? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Or like 99 or it's something. Very funny. Um, I, had, I had a really good time with it. It stars uh, Jesse Eisenberg as Casey, who is an accountant at a miscellaneous company. He is mugged at one point um, early in the film and decides that he's not going to take it anymore and he's going to go take karate lessons. Um, the movie is about toxic masculinity <laughs> and <laughs> toxic masculinity is represented through um, the leader of this karate dojo and how he is essentially just setting up a bunch of arbitrary rules for masculinity that will teach you to be tough and to perform your manhood uh, up to his standard and it is it, that that really is brought to a very extreme point um, to comedic effect this is a comedy more than anything um, so it'll have lines like her being a woman is really stopping her from being a man <laughs> Things like that, um, and it, it, it is it is quite funny. A lot of good dachshund content in this movie. He has a dog. Lots of good dog nice, stuff. Nice. Yep. Um, I mean, that's the like that's really all you need to know about this movie going in. Um, I I enjoyed it a lot. I thought its its critiques of toxic masculinity are true and you know relatively obvious, but you know that's fine. Like having a movie that's really just about that, I think, is useful and good. Mm -hmm. um, it was directed by a guy named Riley Stearns, I want to, yeah, Riley Stearns, who also directed a movie that came out three or four years ago called Faults, that um, Mayor uh, Elizabeth, what's her name, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, the one in the Cloverfield movie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's her name. Um, that was also really good, and I didn't realize until after I'd seen this movie that it was the same guy. Um, so that that's mm -hmm. about um, like a girl trying to get deprogrammed that was in a cult. Huh. Um, yeah, it was great. Um, so I'll, I'll be brief here because really it's not that much to say. Like it's a comedy. It's a funny movie. Jesse Eisenberg does this Jesse Eisenberg thing. The guy who plays the villain is fantastic and really kind of steals the show. Um, so not, uh, a, not a known actor? Not, I didn't know him that well. He was in a movie that came out last year called um, Disobedience uh, that starred um, Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weisz as a lesbian couple, not lesbian couple, but a lesbian lovers in a very orthodox Jewish community. Mm -hmm. um, and he played the husband in that and was the best part of that movie as well. <laughs> so right. this guy, his name is, he has a name that's difficult for me to pronounce. Um, Alessandro Nivola, I think is how you say it. Um, but yeah, he's great here. Um, and he was great in that other movie. Uh, so it's called Art of Self-Defense. Go check it out. It's a small release, so I'm not sure it'll be everywhere, but it feels like something that'll get out, end up on streaming you know, relatively quickly. Um, and apparently it is doing well for its the size of its release at the box office, which is encouraging. Um, so so I think watch it's it. got some word of mouth. I've, oh, I've heard yeah. some like really good things about this. Which is, I think, what they're pitching, what they're what they're marketing for is like because yeah. I think it was just released in New York and LA yeah. for like a couple weeks. Yeah. And I'm they might have done well enough to get a wider release now. I, I hope so. Yeah, I want to see this. I've heard you it's funny. I've heard it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's very funny. Yeah. It really, really is. Um, it uses Jesse Eisenberg very effectively. Um, as like it's essentially the straight man. Um, in, in this, that's like what he always says, right? Comics, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, the uh, Mogan Poots plays the only woman in the movie, and she's very good as well. It's like this character that it where you see like how toxic masculinity can impact women, and how women can support it and play into it, also. Um, 
So yeah, go, go check it out. Artist nice. Self-Defense, you'll have a good time. It's a quick watch, it's like 87 minutes or something. Um, so you get in and out, but yeah. Perfect good. comedy you like. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Charles, it's your pick next, what are we watching? Yes, uh, I would like to see On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, okay. uh, I've seen a lot of Bond films, but I miss. I haven't gotten okay. around to seeing this one. That's cool. And I've heard very polarizing reactions to it, so I'm curious about it. I've heard it. It sounds pretty interesting too. So. Okay, that, that's. I, that, I have the like damnedest time placing Bond films of a certain era, other yeah. than like Moonraker and Goldfinger. I'm like, know those two. Yeah. The other ones are just like a mess. This, one, this one's a little more early yeah. on. It's yes. between Sean Connery and Roger Moore, I think. Yeah. This guy got one Bond film and this was it. Yes. This is one of the weirder ones, if I remember right. <laughs> it's yeah. kind yeah. of crazy. Yeah. So um, but yeah, I, I, I can place like From Russia with Love yeah, and like before one. and after that one. That, I think that's other than Casino Royale, my favorite Bond movie. But anyway, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. All yeah, about yeah, things yeah. Bond. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening, everybody. Um, if you're liking the show, please share it with people. Please talk about it with people. Comment, like. Um, that, that stuff really does make a difference. We are on Facebook, iTunes, Google Play. Um, I think something else. I, mean, I, need, I really need to investigate this because I, I think we're flown <laughs> around somewhere else as well. Um, so we will see you next week for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs>